So perhaps this is not the ideal way of keeping track of 15 individuals, much less a thousand. So instead, if we record all of this information and feed that into a computer system, the computer system should be able to detect problems and alert us right away. Something for your mind. Welcome. This is episode two of Something for Your Mind. I'm your host, François Dill. This is the first alphabetical episode. A is for anomaly. No, this is not a reference to Christie or Grafton. We're talking about anomaly detection. If somebody is speaking of some specific data or event as an aberration, anomaly, a deviation, an exception, a fraud, an incongruity, a peculiarity, noise, novelty, an oddity, or an outlier, chances are they are talking about anomaly detection. Unknowingly or not, you do this on a regular basis. For example, when you are laying down at night and you hear a noise, well, there's something you cannot identify, so what will you do? You'll get up to investigate. Another example, you are looking at your bank statement online and you see two entries for the exact same amount. This obviously will raise many questions. This time it was not the uniqueness of the event, like the noise in the night, but it was a repetition where none was expected. One of the examples I uh, selected was uh, your bank statement. And looking at uh, anomaly detection for fraud detection or uh, tracking fraud is actually one of the most common thing to do. Not only that, it's actually one of the oldest thing to do. If we go back a few centuries or millennia, let's say we looked at uh, the scribes of Pharaoh. The pharaohs obviously were interested in one thing and one thing only. It was their material possession. The amount of uh, things that they accumulated. So in the case of uh, the scribes, their job was to write down all uh, the transactions, all the things that were stored. And the fraud prevention mechanism was uh, a type of fraud detection but it was a fairly manual process here's how it worked two scribes were writing down everything uh, that they had to keep track of a little later a third party would come in and review the two writings of the scribes and compare them and if there were discrepancies then that would uh, definitely spell trouble for the uh, scribes if we look a few hundred years later and uh, consider For example, uh, one of the Dead Sea Scroll, uh, the book of Leviticus, and uh, actually there was a recent paper where, uh, with uh, volume cartography, uh, basically taking an MRI of a document that is uh, damaged beyond, uh, not only beyond repair, but beyond uh, being able to be unrolled in the case of a scroll. Through the MRI, they were able to restore the information, uh, interestingly enough. We'll see if we can uh, get uh, into a little bit more detail in a future episode on that kind of technology. So as I was saying, in the case of the book of Leviticus, in chapter 19 and verse 13, it said, you shall not defraud your neighbor. So this law, uh, in comparison to the 
audit made by the scribes, which was to protect the pharaoh's earnings. This one was to protect the earnings of individuals in that case. And as we move in time almost a thousand years, specifically if we look at around 450 before our era, we see the 12 tables that were written. And this was basically the code of law for the Romans on their first attempt. Twelve books were initially ten tablets, uh, then uh, a further two uh, were added. But it did uh, talk about, of course, procedures for courts and trials and things like that. And it also mentions about acquisition and possession. And if we look at that, the... Um, the people that were put in charge of ensuring that this law was being followed, uh, they were uh, named Questores. And around 447 BC, there were a second class, uh, the first class of uh, Questores were the uh, Questores Paricidi. Uh, they were uh, charge of uh, looking into murder cases. In the case of the Questores Classici, they were in charge of the of the public treasury. And this meant that they had to uh, make sure that the funds were used as they were supposed to. So obviously part of their work was making sure that no fraud was being committed. So when I said outlier at the beginning, uh, you probably thought of a statistical graph with uh, some data points and uh, one data point in particular that sticks out like a sore thumb. And you'd be right to think that that's a form of anomaly detection or outlier detection. But statistics are only one of the many ways to detect and communicate these anomalies. Still, because the main purpose of anomaly detection for so many years was to detect fraud, and it was uh, fairly popular in financial circles. And that meant that a specific type of uh, statistics, uh, namely probability density functions, were used to uh, at least uh, be the first line of defense to detect fraud. So in general, power laws are a good way to look at uh, at PDFs. More specifically, if we look at Ziff's law, for example, it's a distribution that is a type of a power law. And the equivalent, which is uh, Pareto's, uh, Wilfredo Pareto's law. And it is worth mentioning also Benford's law in this uh, specific application. But as I said... There was a growth in other areas besides statistics in order to be able to work with the outliers, detect them, and to be able to even classify them as anomalous, these data points. Some of these advances came from computer science, which initially were probably more like business rules. And the most popular thing beside the financial was for intrusion detection of networks. But with the advent of more advanced machine learning algorithms, AI, neural nets, data mining, and operations research, and several other approaches, we've seen in more recent history or more recently that businesses have been relying more and more on these algorithms to help in a variety of fields. Well, for example, uh, as I mentioned, fraud detection, intrusion detection systems, but also how about predicting when a machinery is about to fail by looking at uh, anomalous data of, uh, for example, maybe RPM due to bearings or something like that. Another thing would be to uh, detect never-seen-before molecular structures or perhaps uh, abrupt changes in conditions beyond a glitch in uh, sensors. Image analysis, uh, detecting a tumor, the discovery of very faint RF 
aircraft signals and unmanned vehicles, just to name a few things. So the more advanced uh, techniques are of the hybrid types. The obvious thing is to combine different uh, algorithms into a quorum system, and if a majority identify something as anomalous, then it must be. There's also a fascinating augmented hybrid system that combines a visual display or perhaps just text or semi-graphical or graphical display and a human. This human can interact with these visualizations and further drill down and uh, detect things that uh, a system might not have necessarily detected or might have just flagged several and then out of these several data points, the human can actually make an informed decision. And so there are two kinds of anomaly detection system, those that are real-time and those that are processed later, after the fact. In the case of real-time, one could see the advantage, for example, in a credit card transaction to be able to reject or approve one as soon as possible. Obviously, we don't want to process something and return an answer uh, 15 minutes later. Another area where Real-time is important is for life-and-death situations. What do I mean? Well, most of us have had the opportunity of uh, listening to our own heartbeat through a stethoscope. And because we have ears, we can easily listen to it. But the computer needs electrical signals. Actually, they need electrical signals that will then be converted into into a bitstream type of uh, data. So one way to record the heartbeat uh, electrically is through uh, electrocardiography, ECG or EKG. And basically it's the electrical activity of the heart over a time period uh, using electrodes and these are placed on your skin and allow for the recording of the heartbeat. Well, it's really recording three different things. It's recording the P wave, the QRS wave and then the T wave. And uh, the pulse itself uh, that we uh, typically hear is that uh, QRS wave. So if we were to take this signal that's recorded and bring it up, uh, let's say, three octaves, then we'll be able to hear it because else the frequency would be so low that uh, we can hear it. But let's, let's, let's listen. From this, people that are trained in listening to the information or looking at it visually can actually measure, uh, obviously, well, the the rhythm of the heartbeat, but also can uh, have a good idea of uh, any uh, damage to the heart's muscle or the conduction system, the size of the heart chambers, all kinds of information like that. As we listen without knowing this information, we don't see it as obvious, but it is possible to do that. Well, it is if we're listening to only one heartbeat, but what if we were listening to 5, 10, or 15? Well, let's listen and see as we go from 1 to 15 and see if we can still discern everybody. In this case, it's actually a heart rate monitor that you would find in a hospital instead of the EKG type of wave that we were listening to previously.
So perhaps this is not the ideal way of keeping track of 15 individuals, much less a thousand. So instead, if we record all of this information and feed that into a computer system, the computer system should be able to detect problems and alert us right away. I say should because uh, that's uh, in theory. However, one of the main challenge of anomaly detection is that we are dealing with rare events. And so that means that we are dealing with unbalanced classes. We'll have a ton of normal data, but very, very few anomalous events. So how do we cope with that? One way, as I mentioned earlier, is to use machine learning. And in machine learning, we can use what are called one-class classifiers. So for example, there's a version that's one-class support vector machine. Another would be a one-class random forest classifier. And some other approaches include nearest neighbors, a clustering of uh, small uh, neighborhoods, and also true rank-based systems. Many approaches, and in uh, such a short period of time, we will not be able to cover all of them. Just uh, mentioning a few like that, just to get you started. But if there's interest in specific applications, we can uh, cover that in a future episode. So we talked about fraud and uh, also for medical emergencies, uh, the anomaly detection there. But uh, perhaps we could uh, talk about a less critical, uh, at least in terms of life and death, a less critical application. For example, how about detecting errors in your data? If you're writing an article in a newspaper that is uh, data-driven, can you find the handful of errors in the data? Visually inspecting is probably one approach that's possible. Visually inspecting it probably won't reveal much beyond the extremely obvious mistakes. But how about perhaps missing values? Uh, how about the dates? How about values that are clipped? And we can imagine also the same thing happening to, to a designer of information visualization. Sometimes the bad data will show up right away, but sometimes it will not show up until months later when a customer notices it and says, hey, what is that? And sometimes the anomaly is just the outliers. In the case of, uh, for example, box plots, uh, they were used uh, fairly early on for exactly that purpose, to have some good detail on the data without being too affected too much by outliers. I've similarly designed a STEM graphic uh, to help me with this problem. Again, uh, some of the approach uh, here can be winterization, can be clipping, filtering. All of these things, of course, modify the data. But in the case of uh, a visualization, uh, sometimes we just want to have a specific view or um, basically remove the anomalies out of that. And in other cases, uh, we do want to highlight them. So it's a question of uh, knowing exactly when to use which uh, method. So I think we've covered enough information for today and we'll wrap up something for your mind with uh, this uh, episode on A is for Anomaly anomaly detection and we uh, will see you at the next episode or perhaps uh, also uh, I will be speaking at the uh, Triangle Linux user group on October 13th so if you get a chance to go there it's in RTP at the frontier I'll be covering various aspects of uh, audio and video production 
well, really pre-prod and post-prod for music, audio, and video using open source software. So if you're interested in that, again, it'll be on October 13th in RTP in, in North Carolina. So thank you for listening. This was Something for Your Mind with François Dion. This episode of Something for Your Mind was recorded in the offices of Dion Research.